In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. Luke 24, verses 50 to 53. Last Thursday was the Feast of the Ascension, 40 days after the resurrection. Jesus has spent his time well giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he'd chosen about the kingdom of God. In Luke's gospel, we're told he opened their minds to the scriptures. He instructs them to stay in the city, Jerusalem, until they've been clothed with the power from on high, the Holy Spirit. Then he leaves in a miraculous way, and they wait in Jerusalem. Pentecost happens 10 days later, and we're celebrating Pentecost this Sunday, that pivotal moment in the apostles' lives when they did indeed receive strength and courage to proclaim a mystery no one can understand. They did a good job. Christianity is still alive and well today, despite the persecution and risk to life and limb. Are you convicted enough to go and tell everyone you meet the good news and possibly face death for it? This is no fairy tale. No one dies for a fairy tale. This is the truth. Those of us who are Christians living with the truth need not forget the origins. It's sobering stuff to know that the early disciples and some Christians today are prepared to lose their lives for what they believe. Are we? Thank God most of us will never be tested that far. But perhaps we're questioned by our families and communities, so are persecuted in some way. If so, remember, God is for us. Alleluia! And a good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNinney. This week, I'm talking to Katie Sullivan, who first caught my eye on Twitter. Her blog, Brighton Park, is beautiful, wherein she talks about her very own Mr. Darcy. She homesteads as well as homeschools, so you'll have to stay tuned to meet my Jane Austen-loving guest later in the show. I'll be excerpting from my book, talking about first English roses in the herb garden, telling a story about a professor, and if I have time, mentioning the music festival last week and some art we commissioned to take back to America with us. So stay right where you are and enjoy your cuppa and a little bit of apple tart while I warm you up to the charms of an English spring. And it is 
lovely out there. We've been having record highs for the last three days and everybody's forgotten what a dreadful, dreadful spring it's been. My first roses are out and there are so many of them on my bushes, I can bring a few into the house that I can enjoy them at my desk. And the herb garden up by the garages is awash with sweet smelling plants. I kid you not, it was nothing and then all of a sudden overnight, wham, loads of stuff out there. So we go up there each evening to pick fresh leaves for our salads. Oh, it's so good to be here. And my time in England is rapidly drawing to a close. And I don't really know how I feel about it, except that it's flown by, as I knew it would, and I've made the most of it as I vowed I would, so that I'll return with no regrets, I hope. In that vein, my blue-eyed cowboy and I went to a part of the city where business is conducted, like banking and the stock exchange. And there are a lot of old street names that warrant mentioning for those Anglophiles out there in my audience. We walked along Pudding Lane, where the Great Fire of London started in 1666, in a baker's shop. The pudding refers to the excrement and offal discarded by the butchers higher up the lane, we call congealed blood sausage blood pudding here. Threadneedle Street, where tailors had their businesses. Idle Lane, a quiet or idle place, though the spelling suggests a pagan figure. I noticed the spelling back then wasn't as accurate as it is today. Bread Street, that's been there since 1180. Cripplegate, since 1010, where cripples would beg. And Cheapside, which has been in the vicinity since 1066. That's the Norman Conquest, a place where buying and selling took place. The word cheap means market. Many of the names have a number of histories and spellings. So if you're interested, pop over onto a lovely little website called City Street Names by Lewis Zetterston, where you'll learn lots more. And while we were in the East Sea neck of the woods, we visited 10 medieval churches and discovered that during Shakespeare's time, there were 100 churches in one square mile. That's a lot of churches. But bear in mind that there was no welfare state back then and churches provided for the sick and the poor. Each church was in a parish or ward and had about 300 congregants. London suffered quite a lot during its history. If it wasn't fires burning down whole streets and churches, it was the Blitz during World War II and then the IRA bombings in most recent times. Christopher Wren built or rebuilt 51 churches. We can see examples of his work all over the city. And my blog, thesociablehomeschooler.com, has a more detailed account of our day if you're interested with lots of pictures. Well, it's time for my book excerpt this week as the outside draws in. We parents are facing the question of how best to live with an adult child who's just graduated from college while still maintaining a safe environment for the three resident alcoholics. No, did I just say alcoholics? Adolescents, I mean. I wonder where my mind is. Graciously, our returning son did not throw his brother out of his room. Instead, he tucked himself and his desk, computer, television, fridge, and other college paraphernalia into the back room and began his search for a job in his chosen career film. He drifted from job to job until moving out to North Carolina with my blue-eyed cowboy in tow, who helped him get an apartment, a car, furniture, and generally settled him in. Unfortunately, the film company wasn't all it was cracked up to be, so he reluctantly summoned his dad back, and they unwound their way home several months later. 
with these kinds of interruptions, trying to continue with the homeschooling schedule was difficult and guided me towards a more relaxed form of living. I dropped anything I was doing to fit in an hour of study with one of the girls or a cup of tea and a heart-to-heart with my older son or a bike ride with my younger son. I could always get back to what I was in the middle of, but I could never recapture the moment of need emanating from one of my children right then and there. Contrary to my very rigid disciplinarian self, I began to accept disruptions. In fact, the word and deed schedule disappeared from my life for this homecoming year. I still had my anchoring prayer times, which everyone attended, if they were under the same roof, but gone were the hours of unrushed and informal lessons. Now, each hour was given its full weight, and we learned the value of time, punctuality, and efficiency. Outside influences were indeed creeping in. Theatre remained a family activity and became the only constant during the relatively quiet summer months. For the remainder of the year, ballet took over now that Malia was a principal dancer at her ballet school's company. This involved only her on the sibling front. The others joyously attended her performances and recitals when they couldn't get out of them. And as supportive parents, we worked hard backstage, making props, helping with costumes and stage managing. Paris had always loved the water, and because we had a pool, she started a modest business teaching young neighborhood children how to swim. This little adventure kept her on her toes, and with lesson plans and weekly progress cards, I incorporated these reports in her writing for school, and she enjoyed recounting on paper the day-to-day anecdotes about the children and the games she played with them. We quickly discovered that Paris was a child magnet. They trusted her implicitly, and where their parents despaired of ever getting them close enough to the water to get their feet wet, she could get them swimming like fish on the first go-round. Encouraged by her modest success at our pool, she decided she wanted to train as a lifeguard and have a more regular job, at least during the summer. I would have trained alongside her, but water is not my medium, so I compromised by cheering her on while walking on the concrete as she swam length after length of our pool. She swam hundreds of meters, and as much as she loves the water, I became seriously concerned she would kill her passion with the grueling regimen she'd set herself. She'd imposed a personal deadline, sounds like her mom, and was determined to become qualified as soon after turning 16 as she could. All I can say about this time was there were a lot of tears shed by a spoke. But she persevered and was awarded her certification three months after turning 16. As winter was the next season on the calendar and the outdoor pools were closed, she applied for a job at the fitness centre around the corner from our house. They had a swish indoor-outdoor pool. She wasn't driving it, so this would be perfect for the three adults at home with licences, whose responsibilities would expand to include ferrying her to and from work. She was invited to interview, and we did a little role play to prepare her, the drama in us, and she was successful in getting her first proper job. Nutcracker was scheduled to be over before Christmas, so to the, uh, as the end of the roller coaster year hove in sight, I thought it would be an ideal time for all of us to do what we do best, go on a trip. My Texan and I decided to spend Christmas in England with as many of the British family as we could rustle up. This would be the first time in 20 years for me and the first time ever for everyone else. 
the children were old enough to appreciate the cultural differences and take note of how my countrymen mark the occasion of Christ's birth. I also noted some of my extended family members across the ocean were in the deep midwinter of their lives, and a visit home was long overdue. So off we went after celebrating a small family Christmas so that we didn't have to cart presents with us. What am I talking about? We didn't have to take our children's presents, but we did go laden with gifts for family members we hadn't exchanged Christmas presents with in 20 years. We hit probably the coldest three weeks England had seen in a decade. My sons both got the flu, my girls got colds, and Hubs had the difficult task of manning the steering wheel for our trips around the countryside, visiting various branches of the family. I was up to my eyes in organization, food preparation, doctor's visits, and fever-reducing meds, not to mention cultural activities and the usual sightseeing, so if I felt sick, I didn't notice. Quite honestly, the whole experience was amazing. We hosted Christmas lunch at the rented house. We went to a pantomime. We went to a carol service at the cathedral in Canterbury. We just had a wonderful time, and I'm going on a break. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Get ready to live la bella vita with Dawn Catherine on Toginet.com. Live la bella vita. If you're wanting to know all the beauty tricks of the trade and the latest fashion trends before everyone else, this is your show. If you admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense, this is your show. Do you love wine and want to know more about the process it takes to make wine from the vine to the bottle? This is your show. Live La Bella Vita. For more on the show and your host, check out our website, labellavitacosmetico.com. This is the kind of show you can sink your teeth into. If you enjoy traveling and food and family, all with an Italian flair, then you can live La Bella Vita with your host, Dawn Catherine. Wednesday nights at midnight, 11 p.m. Central, on Toginet.com. Friday Night Camp Radio, 10 p.m. to midnight with Christy and Laura on Toginet.com. Broadcasting from their scrappy kitchen in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. They've got nothing better to do than riff with their favorite Brooklyn-based independent vendors, artists, bands, bartenders, foodies, weirdos, and news stories. Featuring the live studio audience. Betty Rehab and the Gay Boys. Sex and dating commentary with the impersonal. The unknown political masked man. And people who kind of know stuff. Stream on after your long week. Brooklyn's variety show of madcap intellectualism. Friday Nightcap Radio with Lauren Christie. 10 to midnight Eastern on Toginet.com. Radio like you've never seen. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. The show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. 
And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Hello, my guest this week is Katie Sullivan, a speech language pathologist with 17 years experience teaching both typical and atypical learners. She's a Waldorf inspired homeschooler who believes in that magical place where the teachable moment meets hands on discovery. Katie is currently pursuing a second master's in history and French and has just returned from a week in Paris. She lives on a one-acre homestead with her husband, her own Mr. Darcy, who grew up in England, and their five children, three dogs, ten chickens, eight ducks, and seven turkeys in the gorgeous southwest. Welcome, Katie. How are you this morning? I'm well, Vivian. Thank you for having me. I can hear the smile on your face. (laughs) Vacations do that, don't they? Yes, yes. Oh, did you have a wonderful time? I did. We had a wonderful time. It was my second time in Paris, so I knew my way around a little better this time. And I had my five-year-old as a travel buddy, so it was a great week. I know. Doing that, I used to do that with my young children as well. And it just you just saw the place in a completely different way through their eyes. She felt like we were in Paris if she could see the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if we were somewhere else in the city where the Eiffel Tower was not visible, then she questioned to make sure we were still there. <laughs> oh, oh, how lovely she will! I, you know, she just won't forget that. So, yes. Lovely, lovely experience. Well, I've been reading about you this week, and I want you to share with my listeners something about yourself. Tell us where you grew up, a little bit about your professional life, and then, of course, I know my listeners will want to hear about your romantic Mr. Darcy. So, Oh, wonderful. Well, I grew up in uh, southern Illinois in a very small town in a farming community. It had a population of about 300 people. And I lived there until I was 23 years old, pretty much until I finished uh, my master's degree in college. And uh, so my first job, my first professional experience was also the first time I ever moved away from home, and that was going from Illinois to Florida. And when I started, I did a couple years with working with adults and did a traveling assignment across the country from Florida to California, filling in um, when other therapists would take maternity leave and such, I would come in and, and take over their caseload. And when I got to California, I decided to, to stay and to work permanently again, and that's when I switched over to pediatrics. Mm-hmm. And while I was living in California, that's when I met my Mr. Darcy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I'm basically a, a very, I grew up in a very, very small town, and my journey has taken me everywhere from living in Los Angeles to to doing the traveling we do now. So it's been a it's been a wonderful experience. So you live in the Southwest, which is I live in a suburb of Phoenix, Arizona now, and we have oh. lived here for t- a little over ten years. Oh right. Oh, so you have you have been around? I mean, yeah. around America. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have. Yeah. You've been, yeah, from one side to the, from one coast to the other, which is wonderful. And uh, I seem I've to been stay in, in the hot spots since after living, after growing up in the Midwest and the snow, I seem to like to covet the warm areas now, Florida, yeah. California, Arizona. <laughs> I see a well, trend. Yeah, I, I ended up in Texas where, you know, the weather is not brilliant, but it's very, very warm 
a lot of the time. And of course, we came back and spent this year. We, we spent, we're spending a year here in England, my husband and I. And we had one of the worst summers in history last summer and a very mild winter. We got snow maybe once or twice. And then a terrible spring. I mean, very cold. We still had to wear our long mm-hmm. underwear and that right up until three days ago. And then all of a sudden, it's like 80 degrees. And it's just, wow. I know the weather changes, but it just changed so dramatically here. So uh, well, we, you know, we can't... came home from Paris and went straight to Sedona for a week. So when I got home yesterday, I hadn't been home in two weeks. And I left very still nice temperate spring weather and I came home to quite hot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like that. I like the spring because it's, you know, in Texas, it's about the only time and it's pleasant, really pleasant, the spring and the early fall to get outside. But here in England, the spring is just gorgeous and goes on for several months, but we've not had it at all. So it's gone from very cold to very warm. But anyway, I'm I'm enjoying it because it's not 100 degrees. It's only about 75 or 78. (laughs) (laughs) Well... So you're a language, a speech language pathologist, and you're taking another master's, and you homestead, and you blog, and you love making crafts and sewing. You just got home from your trip to Belgium and Paris with your five-year-old field trip to end all field trips. And tell us the story now behind why you decided to homeschool. You know, I never had planned on homeschooling. I was public schooled myself. I had a great experience myself in public school. And when my my two boys, who are uh, special needs learners, they started out in public school here. And my daughter, my oldest daughter, was going to ballet. She was four years old. And I just noticed that the two families of kids at the ballet school who seemed to have the just the brightest kids and certainly the most polite, the best Mm -hmm. acting kids at that ballet school had one thing in common. All those families were the homeschool families there. That was Mm -hmm. very intriguing to me. And I became friends with their moms and just started asking questions. And it just kind of became this little idea in the back of my mind that didn't go away. So I Mm -hmm. talked to my husband about homeschooling our daughter just for her preschool. And, of course, you know, I'm married to a CPA, so I asked, what do you think about me homeschooling our daughter for preschool? And I'm sure what he heard was, I'm not going to ask you to pay for preschool. (laughs) So (laughs) he said, of course, that sounds fabulous. So Mm. we did a preschool year with Audrey, and it went great. And then Mm. suddenly it was time to make that decision about her kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And he decided, okay, we'll do kindergarten. But it was never our master plan to do everybody. It was never our master plan to do everybody all through school. Mm -hmm. And then um, the end of Audrey's kindergarten year, the boys had just a really terrible public school year. Being special needs learners, they kept moving their program around to different campuses each year. So by that time, they were going to their third school in three years, but we hadn't moved. Mm-hmm. So they were just, you know, I, I started that school year sending little boys who loved school, who were excited about school, to little boys who cried and ran to their room and hid mm-hmm. when they saw a school bus. Mm-hmm. So we pulled them as well, and that was the first year I started doing everybody, and mm-hmm. every year has been, you know, a great experience for them and a great experience for me, and so we haven't looked back. But we do do it year by year. At the end of every school year, we ask three questions. We say, was it a positive experience for the kids? 
was it a positive experience for mom, me, and uh, is everyone making the progress that we need to see? And if the answer to those three questions are yes for each child individually, then we move forward homeschooling. And so far, that is our plan to continue that. And um, like I said, it wasn't anything I grew up with. We just kind of, you know, came by it organically, but it has been a wonderful fit for our family, and it has been a remarkable um, change in our boys who have special needs. Mm-hmm. So you have um, twin boys who are older than your older daughter, your your yes. oldest daughter, um, who have special needs, and um, uh, you you're a, you're a speech pathologist. But I I remember reading in one of your blogs that you talked about some instrument that one of your sons had to help him speak. You know, it was being put away in the cupboard for safekeeping when he was at school. So he was signing yep. to you. So. Um, their special needs goes, you know, sort of deeper than some special needs. Can you tell us something about that? Sure, sure. Yeah, Sean and Timothy were our honeymoon babies. We came home from our honeymoon finding out we were expecting, and it was quite a surprise to find out we were expecting two. Mm-hmm. And they were um, almost full-term for twins. We went almost 38 weeks. It was a perfectly pleasant, perfectly wonderful, almost easy pregnancy, dare I say. And just um, through their birth process, it was just a very difficult labor, a very difficult delivery, and they both suffered birth trauma. So they mm-hmm. both um, are, um, you know, intellectually disabled. Um, they are sixth grade in age, but we're working on more kindergarten, first grade work with them. Um, Sean is verbal. Timothy is not. Um, he, they both have augmentative communication devices. They both use signs sometimes. Um, but, yes, they are they are what's considered to be severely um, impaired, and they will mm-hmm. always live with us. Mm-hmm. And I, one of the reasons I think I, I wanted to, to, to blog about my experiences with homeschooling with them particularly is I never thought about homeschooling them because I thought, oh, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Until the school year, the public school situation was so bad, I thought, well, I can't do worse. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of families out there who are not necessarily that they're feeling that they're not getting, you know, what they should have at public school, but mm-hmm. but maybe just because of their child's disabilities that that, that is a, a burden for them, you know, the to and from or or the being away from that child during the day. And, and I want them to, to realize that they're, if you make an educated decision about it, homeschooling a child with special needs is a viable option for a family mm-hmm. with a child with special needs. It can be mm-hmm. done. It can be done in tandem with homeschooling typical kids. Um, obviously, I have a master's degree in speech pathology, so I have a lot of experience in special education. But you don't have to have that to, to know what's best for your child. You just need to be able to make the informed decisions about what's available for your child. And so this year on the blog, course, I started putting on speech and language um, pathology information for families. Um, I keep my email open so that anyone can, you know, email me any questions they have about their child's speech or language development that I'm happy to answer as best I can in that venue, and um, information about how to go about making that decision. You know, what what things do I need to consider if I'm going to homeschool my child with special needs? Um, what are the advantages of it? What are the disadvantages of it? And I put that all on the blog so that other moms can make those and dads can make those best choices for their families. 
And you talked about um, special needs children having problems with their um, sleep habits. When I was reading that, I thought, well, if they had a restless night or a sleepless night, that means you also had a restless or a sleepless night. And yet Mm -hmm. you still need to be able to get up and you've got a little homestead there. And so you've got animals that you take care of as well as your other children. How, when do you catch up on that sleep time? And we're getting close to going to a break, so perhaps you should answer that question when we come back. Um, Great. I'm talking, yeah, um, sorry about that. I'm talking to Katie Sullivan, who um, has been um, telling us about um, the, the decision that she came to about homeschooling her two special needs boys. We'll be back in a moment. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu, Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown, and after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true. I love it. Debbie Glickman and Deanna Cohen know it. Join these soul sisters on toginet.com. Believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true. Showcases two sides. One, to help entrepreneurs showcase their products and tell their story of their happily ever after. And two, to interview people who have realized their own fairy tale and doing something to benefit others. This show is here to help folks who have an idea and want to get it off the ground, as well as to inspire people to make the world a better place by doing something extraordinary or out of the box to help others. Both of these entrepreneurs have their own businesses and websites. With more information on their passions and successes, first for Debbie, FairytaleWishesInc.com. And for Deanna, TheNextBigZing.com. Believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true. With the Soul Sisters, Debbie Glickman and Deanna Cohen on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. All right, Katie, we were talking about sleep when we got when we had to go on a break really quickly there. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? I mean, can you take naps during the day? Do you do that? I'm not really a napper. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes if I, if I have the opportunity, it's great. But my youngest is two years old and very busy, so that usually mm-hmm. doesn't happen. I do try to get to bed at a decent hour. I'm, I'm not one to stay up 
you know, super late um, mm-hmm. unless I'm having to study. And I try to just kind of stay on as close to the same schedule as the kids, which is helpful. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes you just have to, you know, put put dad on duty and say, you know, I'm going to go, you know, lay down for a few hours, you know, because yeah. you have to you have to take care of yourself before you can take care of others. So we yeah. have a good system here. Yeah. Well, so t- um, tell me how you incorporate your your homesteading and with your um, homeschooling. Yeah, well, we um, keep a flock of backyard chickens, which is a family project that we do. We have um, 10 hens that are all rare heritage breeds. And then this year, this past year, we added um, ducks and turkeys to our homestead. Um, I enjoy doing the homesteading activities. If I'm going out to the chickens to take care of them or gather the eggs, I can take, you know, any number of the children with me to do that to learn about you know, where some of our food comes from, to learn about sustainability, to learn about, you know, taking care of animals. Um, we garden here. You know, our garden here has been a two-year labor of love. You know, our soil when we bought this homestead was very, you know, clay and sandy, and now we've, you know, got a rich organic garden going. And if I'm planting seedlings, then I've got at least one or two of my kids or more out there with me planting mm-hmm. seedlings with me. Um, I think it's important for the kids to to have outside time every day. That is one of the uh, proponents of Waldorf homeschooling that I liked. You know, there's not very much screen time for my kids even. You know, there's not very much TV. There's not very much computer. But there's a lot of hands-on experiences and hands-on learning. And that can be done across the board with both my typical and special needs learners, which was another thing that, that I liked about doing a Waldorf-inspired curriculum. I didn't have to separate so much the boys and the girls. I could get everyone together. Mm-hmm. And through the gardening, whether we're gardening or whether we're making soap or um, this year we're learning about um, we're making doing more candles and those types of activities or we're outside working with the animals, um, the kids can be a part of that, and they gain so many lessons from that. So in that part, it's a little bit like my childhood. We kind of have a country in the city thing happening here because we are within city limits, but we are on a one-acre homestead um, horse property, and we're surrounded by other one-acre uh, homesteads. So mm-hmm. it makes it very much the best of both worlds for the kids. Mm-hmm. Lovely. And the and eggs have... are wonderful. <laughs> what did you say? I said, and the eggs are wonderful. Our, well, I was just about to ask you, you said you have 10 hens, rare mm-hmm. heritage breeds. So yeah. um, are they just for egg laying? Is that is that how you um, have them? Yes, we don't. Um, we do not eat our chickens. They are pets. They all have names. Mm-hmm. Um, the turkeys and ducks, not so much. If they have a name, they know that, you know, they're going to stick around. But um, sometimes mm-hmm. with the with the boys, we won't name them. You know, we did raise our own turkey for Thanksgiving last year. So yeah. um, those we do, you know, consume in that way. But, um, no, our, our chickens are pets, and we have um, we have uh, lots of different colorful breeds that give us a really nice colorful egg basket. And we get about four dozen eggs a week, three to four dozen. So, huh? and, and you can sell them. Where do you sell them? Um, you know what? My my mom friends from my daughter's ballet school and our our neighbors and uh, just you know the different uh, adults that we see through the kids' activities. We have various customers through there. So, mm. so um, do you have any chicks from these little these rare breeds? 
No, we don't because we don't have a rooster. So while we get okay. eggs with the hens, we don't get chicks. But okay. I did have a hen get very broody this, this past couple months where they want to just sit on all the eggs and hatch them. And, of course, yeah. uh, unfertilized eggs not going to hatch. Yeah. So we we ordered her some uh, fertilized hatching eggs through um, the website My Pet Chicken. Where they mail you the eggs, and then you can put them under your chicken. And she's currently sitting on them, and we're hoping that she will hatch some chicks for us in that way. So it's just been another, another science experiment for our homeschool, and it made our chicken happy. And hopefully, we'll get some little chicks that way. Oh, that's lovely. Well, I saw the photograph of your um, little turkey. Is it called a turkey chick? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess. And so they're all called chicks, but ones are, you know, some of them are hen, chicken. Well, chicks become chickens, but some chicks become ducks. Well, ducks are ducklings, <laughs> right? So, but turkeys are chicks. I guess. I'm not sure. We just say the baby turkey. <laughs> oh, the baby turkey. Well, it, 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 the baby turkey. So and they grow into these large birds that don't resemble anything like that cute little chick. <laughs> no, and they go through a really, bless their hearts, they go through a really awful, terrible-looking kind of teenager stage now, which is where our, our baby turkeys we got just, you know, a couple months ago are, are at now, and they're just, you know, they're just the homeless little birds right now, but then give them a few more months, and they become these, you know, big, more regal-looking birds that you're kind of kind of used to, so, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes, we have... And you also uh, have, have three dogs. What kinds of dogs do you have? We have a Yorkie who we got right when we got married, mm-hmm. and we have a miniature Schnauzer, and we have a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. All right. All right. Who is all, um, all indoor dogs? Yes, they are. Yeah. All little, but all indoors. Yeah. But our two old, our two younger dogs, the Cavalier Spaniel and the Schnauzer, they spend a lot of time outside. They, yeah. they're kind of half and half. You know, we have an acre for them to run around on. Our, um, our birds, where they, our flock is, that part of the yard is fenced off and separate from the the main backyard. So the dogs are never with the, the chickens because you can't ours ours we can't mix. But um, some dogs are well behaved and and can do that. Ours cannot. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're in and out quite a bit, but yeah. um, yes, they're all all in here with the kids, getting lots of love every day. Yeah. Well, um, you said at the um, beginning of our conversation that you, at the end of each year, you ask three questions mm-hmm. um, about your homeschooling and decide whether or not you're going to move on to the next year. And you've also said something about um, incorporating or in being inspired by Waldorf um, method of schooling. How do you make your decision as to what kind of homeschooling you're going to do? Because you've probably evolved over the five years that you've been homeschooling from the very first day that you started to where you are today. Sure. Well, when we started, you know, I had a little bit of a leeway time when we first started. I, I knew I was going to start, and I had a couple months before I was going to start, which is an advantage to people who suddenly just have to feel they have to pull their kids and just start, the, you know, hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. So I was able to read a lot of books about a lot of different curriculums before I started, you know, four years ago. Um, but interestingly enough, Waldorf was one that I never had heard, really heard about or had read about. Um, when we need textbooks to supplement our Waldorf homeschooling things, I get them from Catholic Heritage because um, we are a Catholic homeschooling family, and I've been very happy with their materials. Um, our youngest daughter, 
who is in kindergarten. We are doing her curriculum this coming fall off of the website wefolkart.com. They offer a free curriculum for, you know, four- to six-year-olds there. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically I, I do as much of the Waldorf as I can. Um, when a curriculum requires additional academic work, I get that through our, our Catholic website, which I like. Um, but that still didn't help me with the boys. Unfortunately, with the boys, I do have to piecemeal their curriculum together because I can't just purchase a first-grade curriculum for them or a fifth-grade curriculum for them mm-hmm. because some things they do well and some things not. Um, so I just try to find the um, the academic subject based on their ability and get the the books to go with that so that they are able to participate fully and that they're still challenged enough, but not challenged so much that it's just teaching for not, which I found Mm -hmm. is happening a lot in the public school with them. You know, it was teaching for teaching's sake, but they were getting nothing out of it. Mm -hmm. So that's, again, why I switched more to Waldorf. Uh, turning to Waldorf was kind of a natural transition for our family with the homesteading, with we're outside a lot. We don't really watch TV um, very much. We only have one in our whole house, and it's in the bedroom, and we don't even have channels. We just use it um, mainly for movies. Um, so it was a natural transition to go into a curriculum that really works on doing hands-on learning, that works on doing a lot of nature-themed learning. There, there's a lot of teachable moment in that, and that's what really drew me to Waldorf. And I also love that with Waldorf, especially for the little years, there's not a lot of book or workbook or worksheet work you know, for the little ones. You know, a lot of people think homeschool has to be school at home, and it breaks my heart. They run out and buy, you know, 50 books and 50 worksheets for their four- and five-year-old to do at the table all day. Mm-hmm. And and that's really not a good, um, not the best way that children that age learn. It's not a good learning experience for them, and then it becomes not a good teaching experience for moms. So I love it that Waldorf really, the Waldorf curriculum and the basis behind the Steiner method really shows that, you know, kids need opportunities to be kids. Kids need opportunity to have imaginative playtime every day. They need to be outside every day. And, you know, isn't that what childhood's all about? And if you can pair that with learning, then you have the best of both worlds. Well, and you, you um, were talking about um, teaching for the sake of teaching. I, I have a couple of friends here who are teachers and they teach um, the, the special needs children in the state schools. And they mm-hmm. say at the end of the year, some of their children they've got in their classroom, um, one of them used an example of an autistic child that she had who was able now at the end of the year to be able to actually carry a verbal message from one classroom to the next. Well, when the state came in, the state was just interested in, yes, but um, how many letters in the alphabet can she now write and how much of the math does she know and she said they had completely missed the whole point of what I'm trying you know of of the achievements that this child had made yeah and you know a perfect example that that was Sean and Tim was they were working all the time on handwriting and that's a Mm -hmm. that was a state requirement and I understand that but Sean and Tim both have severe fine motor issues they can barely just write their first name so when I took over their homeschool, I, you know, axed the handwriting part. You know, we still worked on writing their first name and their last name so they could sign, but they, they sign in big, large block letters. Mm-hmm. And I started them on typing because 
unless you're, you know, me, who still loves to write, you know, the occasional handwritten letter, you know, when's the last time a, the, the, a typical adult wrote a handwritten letter? When's the last mm-hmm. time we wrote anything besides a grocery list or our name? We type, we email, we, yeah. we write on the computer. So why, why were they not teaching that skill? You know, well, so Katie, we're I, getting ready to, to go on another break, but we'll come back sure. for a few more minutes if you've got time. Thank you. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Ready for the most current feel-good gossip? Then check out Daytime with Donna with your host, Donna Intercastle, and sidekick Nina Fry. Every Friday afternoon at 2, 1 Central on toginet.com. Donna is a charismatic market-driven entrepreneur who was part of the team that founded iVillage.com, which is the largest content-driven community for women today. Donna and Nina are here to empower you, motivate you, and encourage you in all aspects of your life. It's like Oprah on the radio. Plus, your chance to win great prizes, all the way up to a $500 Visa gift card. For more on Donna Intracasso, check out her website, introinc.com. Then join us for the show, Daytime with Donna, with your host, Donna Intracasso, and sidekick Nina Fry. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Do holidays and celebrations get you down and leave you feeling frazzled? Then join Sandy Fowler and her guests on Heartfilled Holidays every Monday at noon, 11 a.m. central on toginet.com. Sandy will help you discover the secrets to having the celebrations you've always dreamed of while adding fun and meaning to your life. From Valentine's Day to Christmas to special family events, Sandy Fowler will show you how to put the fun and meaning back into those special days by taking a look at what we can do to turn the upcoming holidays into cherished memories and show us how to allow it to intertwine with everyday life. For more on the show, Sandy, and to receive Sandy's Holiday Happiness Booklet, go to HeartfilledHolidays.com. Then get set to discover the secrets to creating happy holidays and happy everydays by joining Sandy Fowler and her guests on Heartfilled Holidays every Monday at noon Eastern Standard Time on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Well, Katie, while we were on break, I was thinking about something that you said about um, the school was teaching your, your son's handwriting and you started, did you say typing? Is that what you said you were teaching them? Yes. 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 And, or the keyboard, um, keyboard keyboard skills and I was thinking okay then I mean the schools are just seem to be in this rut you know there's certain things that have to be learned and every child across the board has to learn it because they I I suppose they just can't specialize in in each group like we can at home um, for Mm -hmm. our children and and, you know sort of see the need and and go that way and set set our own goals Um, so how do parents who decide that they are going to homeschool their special needs children find ideas 
for the kinds of things that might be relevant for their child to learn? Well, certainly the the Internet has become a treasure trove of ideas. You know, I, I joke with my husband, my Mr. Darcy, how did people homeschool before they could, you know, before mm-hmm. they could Google or they could look it up on Pinterest? You know, there's a lot of information there. You can you can go on to Pinterest.com and type in fine motor activities and, and pages come up and you can see, you know, get ideas there for, for curriculum. Or for, for activities, if your child is working with um, therapists, you can you can get their input. Um, you know, there's you know there's a lot of information out there. If, if, but it, it, sometimes you're right; it's hard to find. You have to have to kind of know where, and that's why I started putting some of that information on my blog, so mm-hmm. that you know at least families wanting to make that decision could could look and say, okay, here's some good starting points. Here's here's the advantages of it. Here's the disadvantages of it. And I've got some posts planned, you know, that talk about curriculum and how to choose good, uh, what curriculum for your special needs child, you know. So I'm hoping that my blog will fill that void a little bit in putting some of that information in one place. But where I get a lot of my activities is also the Internet, fellow bloggers, um, Pinterest. Um, I'm Googling all the time, you know, trying to find, you know, those things that I think can work for Sean and Timothy. But I think mainly as a parent, what a child, a parent of a child with special needs is going to have to do if they're homeschooling is, is really think outside the box. You're not going to be able to be successful if you try to replicate school at home. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to decide, you know, based on what your state standards are. I mean, I have five subjects that I have to teach Sean and Timothy per the Arizona state standards, but how I choose to teach those um, the state does leave up to me, which enables me to teach it in the way that my boys can learn it the best. Mm-hmm. And since I'm not trying to teach 10 other children with special needs at the same time, they definitely get more one-on-one. They're able to be taught in the way that they learn the best. You know, we're all different learners. Some of us are visual. Some of us are auditory. Some of us are, mm-hmm. are tactile learners. You know, we can you can take that information and, and make it the most successful environment for your child. All right. Now, before we finish, I know that we've been referring to your husband as Mr. Darcy. And yeah. you, really need, you really need to talk a little bit about that. You have a romantic um, husband um, like I mine. Do. I, have, I, have, I have a very romantic southern gentleman, but I thought, you know, it's because he's from the south and they are very, you know, sort of romantic Street. people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, who knew that accountants were so romantic? You know, I, know. I met my husband. I met Mr. Darcy when we were um, both living in Los Angeles. I was working at uh, the Children's Hospital there, and um, we met. And three days after we met, we had our first date. And six weeks later, he proposed. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, almost thirteen years and five children ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he grew up in England. Um, he was a, a military brat. His father was stationed over there. And um, we go back there often as we can. We were just back in England last spring for the royal wedding activities and took our mm-hmm. oldest daughter for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that big throng at Buckingham Palace, we were there. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he's my Mr. Darcy. You know, I lo- I'm a big Jane Austen fan. If you're on the blog at all, you know that. Um mm-hmm. I have posts on everything from how to start your own Jane Austen book club to, to the, the books we read. And I love Pride and Prejudice. And, you know, and it just kind of organically happened just about five years ago. I said, you know what, you're my Mr. Darcy. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're that, you know, pseudo-English husband and, and who 
it inspires me. And, and just like Mr. Darcy, I don't know if you're so familiar with the story, but um, Mr. Darcy in the book loved that Lizzie was, you know, wanting to educate herself and, and was a reader and was a, she was a intellectual. She wasn't, um, and she was a free thinker. She was kind of, you know, spirited. And he, he loved those kind of spirited exchanges they had. And, and um, Brian, my husband, appreciates those things about me. And we're just, just a very good fit. You know, we've had children with special needs in our, as a piece of our marriage from the very beginning. And we just decided that the best gift that we could give our kids was married parents. And yeah. the way we do that is encouraging each other's, you know, endeavors. And, um, you know, he is my Mr. Darcy. Is he perfect? No, I'm not perfect either. Um, but he's perfect for me. And, and we are just, you know, 13 years strong and, and we just keep going forward. Mm. That's, that's so lovely, Katie. It's lovely to hear that. And um, I... I wish you great blessings on on your life and and your future and your homeschooling and your homesteading and whatever you decide to do. Um, I've been chatting to Katie Sullivan about quite a wide range of subjects. We talked about homesteading, how she manages to keep smiling while homeschooling her five children. Um, Traveling, she shares her chores with her husband, Mr. Darcy. Gathering eggs and feeding her rare heritage Greek chickens. I'm sure she's been an encouragement to other homeschoolers listening today, especially those with children with challenges. You'll want to read her blog, Brighton Park. Just type in Brighton Park, where she writes frankly about some of the decisions she has made about her children's education, particularly reaching out to parents of special needs children in a way that may be helpful for them and help them realize that homeschooling can be an option for them and that it can be done successfully when things are kept positive and encouraging. Thank you so much, Katie, for joining me this week, and I hope you have a fantastic weekend. Oh, thank you for having me, Vivian. It's been a pleasure. Well, good. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, I have a really nice story to tell you this week. My son, uh, my zookeeper's son, called and actually wanted to talk to me after he'd finished talking to his dad. And he told me about a professor that he used to have at his community college that spoke 10 to the dozen, rambling from one scientific tangent to the next, beguiling Simon with his arm gesticulations and humorous mannerisms, and the like of which Simon had never encountered before because, of course, at home I'm not that... Um, voluble I am really but um, I'm not a man I'm not a scientist. He and Simon became great friends and together they extracted the albino DNA from one of my son's snake shed skin, you know, good boy stuff. And as homeschoolers we're warned to be careful about the college campuses we send our children to because invariably unless it's a Christian school the professors are atheists or humanists and more than likely not teaching from a Christian worldview. Science and the arts are danger zones we're told by our priests and other fundamentalists and as luck would have it those are the two prevailing subjects at Wildflower Academy. In preparation for both my son's entrance into the college world I conducted a Bible study for each of them based on Dr. J. Wilde's lovely little book called Reasonable Faith, The Case of Christianity. In it, he looks at scientific phenomena that can only be explained by creation and, of course, an intelligent designer whom we call God. Simon wrote a paper and used this book as a resource, which he listed in his bibliography, and this piqued his professor's curiosity. Now, we've all heard the horror stories of how low grades awarded for insistence on including religious opinions in class papers without relevance, but everything in science is relevant to God in my son's eye, so he included a paragraph of comparative thought based on his Christian worldview. 
His professor asked him for the book and gave him his deserved A. Now, year, eight years later, Simon's still friends with his professor who raves about him to anyone who will listen. He's like a proud parent following my son's success over the years. To his face, Dr. Thomas tells him things I know, that he's a, the smartest, most exciting and interesting student he's ever had. They meet when semesters aren't in session. And this last meeting, Dr. Thomas had a story to tell. He'd pulled Simon's book down from the shelf a couple of years ago and read it and was blown away by its contents. He realized that Simon's dedication to science included a view of creation he'd never considered. Prior to meeting Simon, he used to think homeschoolers were completely stupid not to send their children to school. Simon was an exception to the rule and was treated as such and continued. the professor continued thinking that homeschooling was an unwise choice until during the next eight years, he had two other stellar students in his class who were, you've guessed it, both homeschoolers too. So it changed his mind and he now thinks parents who keep their children home are wonderful and doing the right thing by their children. And this is a great story in itself, but it gets better. His daughter at 11 was being bullied at school, so he and his wife went school shopping. There has been no religion or church attendance in their family thus far. They found and toured Bishop Lynch, an exemplary Catholic school in Dallas. His daughter had a huge smile on her face throughout the tour. And afterwards, he asked her what it was about the school she liked, the building, the teachers, the students. His daughter said no to all the above. They have a chapel, she said. I can go in there and pray all day by myself if I want to. This was not what Dr. Thomas expected, and he had another blown away moment. This sends shivers down my spine. God was working in that child, wasn't he? The family now attend a church, and Simon's professor is interested in teaching Sunday school with a scientific bent. How wonderful is that? Without actually preaching, my son made a difference to one of his professor's lives. He spoke up about the difference his student, my son, made to him. So, you know, let God get in there. Just sow the seed and God will do the rest. And I just need to quickly plug my fan in California, Tina, and her new podcast. It's called Savvy Homeschool Mums. Go to iTunes, find her. And while you're over there, scroll down to the Sociable Homeschooler and write me a review. That'll be great. And with that, I have come to the end of my time and I hope I'm touching some wonderful people out there with my show. Hopefully it'll be sunny picnic weather this weekend. I want to spend lots of time outside among the wisteria and lilac. I'll be entertaining my elderly uncle on Sunday with some help from my blue-eyed cowboy and my brother. I'll be here same time, same place next week. So without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight. Our four children who are the result of that belief. I miss you three in Texas. The hardworking staff at Net Radio, my guest, Katie Sullivan, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Anne in Lindale. I hope you get better soon. Hannah, Tina, Rosemary, Pam, Charlotte, and many others who are part of my growing audience. And don't forget to tune in to Sandy Fowler Hartfield, Hartfield Holidays on Mondays and my um, special friend, Ali Lepreet, at the other end of today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Numbers 624 to 26.
Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Toginet.